Good morning, church family, and uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, what a blessing it is to uh, be led in worship by uh, Kyle and Macy, and uh, just uh, to be able to worship together, uh, if even only online. But what a blessing it is to uh, be with God's people. You know, there's an opportunity coming up. It's uh, They're starting this morning with Revival out at Pendleton Baptist Church, uh, and they will also have re the Reap Revivals going on. Um, Monday night, uh, tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And so uh, if you want to go out there, um, I know they would welcome us to, to go out and worship with them any or all of those evenings uh, as memorial. So uh, if you can, make it, mask up, and come on out. Uh, Brother Herman uh, Cramner will be uh, preaching, and I know we've been blessed in the past by his preaching. So if you want to join us, please do. This morning, um, we're going to be in James chapter 2, and uh, we're going to continue on in this wonderful letter that James wrote, and um, I, I know we're going to be uh, finding some new truth today, so not new truth, but hopefully we'll be mining that truth. Um, you know, recently I saw a bumper sticker, and it had a peace symbol around the border, and it showed two children uh, with their arms around each other, and the caption was, all the arms we need. And, you know, at first I thought, oh, that's a cute sentiment. And I thought, wow, that's great. Uh, but then, you know, I began to wonder, um, you know, what planet do these people live on? Um, you know, when we dwell on the, the new earth, the new heaven and new earth, when all sin is completely eradicated and we won't need arms to defend ourselves, but as long as sin is in this world... We need arms not only to hug one another, but also to fight against the enemies that would destroy us. As unpleasant as it is, the reality of life in this fallen world is that there is conflict. It's also true in the Christian life. I mean, we all want peaceful lives. And maybe you came to Jesus Christ uh, as a result of someone sharing with you that, uh, that you would find peace in Him. And that is true. You know, in Christ we experience the, the peace of God, but we also experience peace with God. Um, Christ is also the basis of peace between other believers. And as much as possible, we're called on to be at peace with all people. And in Christ we know that sense of inner peace that comes through knowing Him, even in the hour of tribulation, we can have that inner peace uh, that, that maybe we lacked before. But while in the Christian life, it is one of peace, there's also, it is also one of constant warfare. Uh, as we serve Christ and we seek to extend His kingdom, we're at war with the evil powers of darkness. We're engaged in a battle also between God's truth and the lies of Satan uh, to captivate the minds of unbelievers. And as every Christian knows, there's also a fierce inner battle that goes on between the flesh and the spirit, the old man and the new creation. You know, but a common misunderstanding that we have about living under grace is, and, and not under the law is that we are free to do whatever we please. But brothers and sisters, that's not so. We're not free to do just whatever we please. 
We are free to please God and to please Him because we want to, not because we have to. See, grace does not change our duty to obey God, but it does change our motivation because we want to please God. Let's read in James chapter 2. We're going to read verses uh, 12 and 13. James chapter 2. It's two verses. And it says this, James says, So speak and so act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate your word for us, that he would be our teacher uh, this morning, that he would be our guide. And Father, as we sit down and, and open your word and we see what your word says, I pray that it would be a mirror to our life and that, Father, it would reveal to us the things that maybe aren't right in, in our lives. And, Father, that we would uh, be transformed by your word. Father, we love you. We thank you. Guide us, Holy Spirit, as we seek you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You remember in the context that James is writing to here, uh, the commands, these commands are uh, have to do with the danger of showing favoritism or partiality. You know, who a person is, their social standing, their wealth, their clothing, their appearance, are to have no effect on us whatsoever. The outward appearance is not to have any effect on us. We're to receive people, actually to reach out to them and uh, through our speech and through our deeds, our behavior, uh, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they look like, we're to reach out to people, to others. See, God is going to judge us on the basis of how we have loved and reached out to other people, regardless of who they are. You remember Jesus said in, in Matthew, He said, As you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. And so we're to, we're to regard that without partiality. We're just to, to love people the way Christ loves them. You know, and, and today, uh, as we look at this, James says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. See, the law of liberty frees us. And I'm going to talk more about what the law of liberty is. But it frees us from the, sh the chafing restrictions of the law. Um, I'm going to cross-reference some of Paul's writings in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 uh, as we go through this passage And I want to I go there briefly in Romans chapter 7. Um, Paul writes this, verse 5 and following. He says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. 
On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. See, I believe that Paul in Romans chapter 7 is vividly portraying for us the frustration of trying to go back and live under the law. You know, some years ago, although I don't believe that I realized it at the time, I was living as if I was under the law. But I'm fairly sure that I also put others under it by my preaching. See, I struggled quite a bit, and I couldn't understand why. I was also critical of others that did not live up to my convictions. I felt like maybe they were somehow not living up to the standard. How spiritually superior I sometimes felt. Like, oh man, I'm doing everything and they're not doing anything. You see, living under the law makes you quick to judge anyone but yourself. When you're living under the law, you want to judge others, but not yourself. See, living under the law doesn't necessarily mean that you're living under the law of Moses or maybe under the Ten Commandments. But you can be bound by the law of, let's say, the denomination that you belong to. Maybe, maybe you know, Baptist doctrine or, or that kind of thing. Or even the law that you impose on yourself. See, living under the law doesn't mean that you're not determined, that you're not intentional, or that you're not, or that you're, uh, not self-disciplined. It means that you measure your spirituality by certain things. And if those things are not done, then you think that you failed to win the love or favor of God in your life. That maybe somehow you've not lived up to that. See, we need to understand the difference between living under law and living under grace. Now, for believers, the law of liberty could be summarized like this. Freedom is not the right to do as we please. Freedom is the power to do as we should. When we're talking about the law of liberty, that's what I'm talking about. The power, the freedom to, to have the power to do as we should. Okay, uh, The law of liberty is related to what Jesus said when he promised. So if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. Okay, It's the law of liberty, the freedom to do as we should. See, the law of liberty frees us from the despair of being unable to keep the law. You remember in Romans chapter 7, a little further on in verse 24, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, 
Who will set me free from the body of this death? You know, the Apostle Paul, we look at all the, that the law demands. And, and, and in our mind's will, we, we set out to accomplish it in our own strength. We will always fail. The law forces us back into bondage to the flesh. But notice, the flesh is the culprit. It's always empowered by the law. That's what he said in verses 5 through 10. Just, just recapping that just briefly, he says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. It's the sin, it's the flesh, it's the law. Okay, we've been released from that. This law of liberty means that we have been set free from that law. And we live under grace. And I love this because the law of liberty also sets us free from the guilt of sin. It sets us free from being unable to keep the law because we live in the flesh. But it also sets us free from the guilt of sin. You know, I've known some, known some very godly saints over the years, and I, I've loved them and I've greatly admired them. Their life absolutely challenged my faith. I, I always felt like I want to be like them. But I can honestly say that I have never met anyone whom I felt lived above sin. You see, we are all have our moments of weaknesses. If we lack some, we have others. But we all have that propensity, that bent towards sin. You know, one outburst of unjust anger could forever tarnish our testimony of complete righteousness to others and create guilt according to the law. One outburst. There would be entirely no room for error under the law, not even the slightest of faults or mistakes. I hope you see how futile it is to depend upon works, our own works, to secure our salvation. This is what Paul goes on in Romans 8, and he says this. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. See, it's only in Christ that we can, can live a life that pleases God and bears testimony for our faith, of our faith in Him. So we must speak and we must live consistent with our faith. It ought to be evident to all who know us and who see us that we are a Christian. People shouldn't have to wonder or ask. See, we must present a consistent witness for Jesus Christ, genuinely enjoying our relationship with Him. See, if we're not true in our faith, how can we expect 
anyone else to desire what we have. I love that because he has set us free. And now we live, as James says, under the law of liberty. See, the law of liberty frees us from the domination of sin. I mean, that's what it says in in Romans. It's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and following. He says this. He says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Oh, the truth of that verse. You are not under law, but under grace. You know, many of you may have seen the uh, hilarious uh, Bob Newhart routine, and I've, I've mentioned it before, where he's a psychologist and a, a woman comes to him for counsel and because she's afraid that she's going to be buried alive uh, in the ground in a box. And if you haven't seen it, you probably need to go to YouTube and, and if, when you need a good laugh, you can watch that. But Newhart's counsel for her phobia, he counsels her, but he also... Uh, several other problems come up and and basically his counsel consists of two words and he says stop it stop it he screams at her over and over just stop it she tries to bring up that her mother uh, treated how her mother treated her as a child and newhart says no we, we don't go there just stop it and in some ways paul's command to those who are struggling with life dominating sins Sounds kind of like Bob Newhart's counsel. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. In other words, Paul is saying, just stop it. Stop. Then after telling us to obey God, he gives us a a blanket promise. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. It's pretty clear. Stop sinning and obey God, the law of liberty, because sin shall not be master over you. We just need to let that sink in. You got it? Because that's so important for where we are and what we're doing in in, in this world today. The law of liberty also frees us to keep God's law not to break it. Going on just from those verses in in Romans 6, verse 15, uh, Paul says this. Get on the right page. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He says, may it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom, whom you obey either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. See, we all must consider seriously the truth 
that James talks about and how we live today will impact eternity in one way or another. James encourages us to to speak and to act, to speak and to behave as those who are about to be judged by Jesus according to the law of liberty. Such an attitude under grace and enabled by the Spirit would without a doubt exert a radical transforming effect on virtually every aspect of our lives. You know, in James, verse 12, he says, So speak and act or behave. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Godly speech and actions are not the result of some external pressure to keep a list of rules and regulations, but are made possible because the love of Christ has been poured within our hearts, poured down into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who God has given to us. It's that Holy Spirit coming out. It's the love coming out that causes us to want to have godly speech. It overflows. What's on the inside comes out. What's on the inside controls and dictates our behavior on the outside. See, believers are to continually order their speech and order their steps so that their talk matches up with their walk. And in light of the truth that we will each stand individually at the Bema seat of Christ, at the judgment of Christ, so that we will be rewarded for our deeds in this body. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that we will be judged according to the law of liberty. It's not a matter of salvation. We've been saved by by Jesus Christ. We're not being judged for our sins. We're being judged for the deeds that we have done in this body. We will be rewarded for those. Those, when we've done it unto others as we've done it unto Him, maybe gold or, or, or silver, precious metals, precious stones. But those other things are going to burn up like they were put in a fire. Don't think of it as being the the, the good deeds and the bad deeds. Think of it like this. The, The deeds that are beneficial. The deeds that are beneficial or profitable for the kingdom and those that are worthless. We're going to be judged for that and we're going to be given a reward for those deeds at the the judgment seat of Christ. It's found in 1 Corinthians 3. But unbelievers will be judged by the law at the great white throne judgment, and it will bring them the payment for their sins. Condemnation, eternal punishment. So while believers will not be judged for their sins, which was judged back at Calvary, By the blood of Christ, we will be judged according to our works. So did we live according to God's will for our lives? Have we laid up any treasures in heaven? Will will any of our works follow us home? Will we survive the, the judgment of God? Have we trusted in Jesus Christ? You see, all of these things 
is what James is talking about. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Free to do as we should. There's a terrifying proverb-like statement here. It says, judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. See, in context, remember he had been talking about showing partiality to some, the rich, and, and, being, and discriminating against others, the poor. In effect, showing no mercy to that latter group. Also, in context, James is referring to, to unbelievers. Note this, James is not teaching that by showing mercy, we merit mercy from God. That's not what he's teaching here. That is a works-based righteousness, and it does not work. Besides, if we were to able to earn our mercy, it would not be mercy any more that grace earned would be grace. See, sinners can do absolutely nothing to merit God's mercy in salvation. The only thing we can do is to accept the blood of Jesus Christ for our sin. Either we pay for our sin or Jesus Christ has paid for our sin. It's one or the other. See, James's point is that if you are a person who makes it a habit repeatedly fails to show compassion or mercy to others, then in the very simplest terms, you are totally lacking in Christian character, meaning you are lost and that you will receive no mercy at the great white throne judgment. On the other hand, the children of God will imitate their father and are energized by the, His Holy Spirit to show mercy and to shun partiality. Of course, none of us are going to be perfect in, in not showing partiality. But it's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about moving towards showing no partiality. Oh, there's going to be times where we do and we repent of that and we move forward. It's about moving forward in that direction. See, we are never more like our Lord than when we show mercy and love to others. To reiterate, because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, it's impossible for a believer not to show mercy or compassion to some degree. Oh, we're not going to do it perfectly. But to never do it signifies that this person has never truly been born again. Because if we have been born again, we will be like our Father. We will show mercy and compassion to others. See, grace does not free us from moral restraint and responsibility. It frees us to do God's will with greater speed, with greater consistency, with greater enthusiasm. And most of all, I want to say with greater joy. Our joy in our heart. I want to give you three quick, very basic principles just to, to jot down and, and to understand. Let the Scriptures be your standard. Let the Scriptures, let God's Word be your standard. Not how you were raised. Okay? 
Instead of excusing our prejudices with statements like, well, that's the way I was brought up. Oh, I hear that all the time. That's, that's the way I was brought up or that's just the way I am. Stop making excuses and, and live by the scriptures. Allow God to change how you think, how you speak, and how you behave, how you act by living according to his word. Let the scriptures be your standard, not how you were raised. Secondly, I would say this, let love be your law. Some of the most needy people get treated the worst. Ask yourself, when that person is standing before you in real time, how can I love this person? What's needed in order to build this person up? Let love be your law. And finally, I would say this, let mercy be your message. To show no mercy is to receive no mercy. We're commanded to temper justice with mercy. Scripture tells us right here in James, mercy triumphs over judgment. Not over justice, but judgment and condemnation. I've heard it said that when a brother or sister, when we see a brother or sister that is in sin, there are two things that we do not know. First, we don't know how hard they tried not to sin. We don't know how hard they fought against it. And second, we don't know the power of the forces that attack them. We don't know, I mean, the enemy may have brought out all the stops and just, and just attacked them to no end. We also don't know what we have, would have done in that same situation. See, when I recognize my own prejudice, I'll tell myself that I lack insightful information, that, that maybe I lack sound information, and I'm prejudging that person, which makes my opinion irrational and unfair. See, a vital faith will lead to our demonstrating mercy in accepting others especially those who are different from us, those who make us uncomfortable, those who are less fortunate than we are. It will also transform our lives and it will transform our Christian witness if we really begin to live this out. But I want to say, it's painful to do that, to live this out. There are people in this church who've lived this out and it's cost them. But that's the cost that Jesus is calling each one of us to. May God start here changing our hearts and may he be pleased to use it for revival. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us. I pray that you would guide us as we respond to your word to us. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would examine our hearts and guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.